0: And welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at pub quiz We're your hosts. I'm Lauren, and I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. Hey, uh, we we are having a really great day because we just recorded with our Triviality Brothers. Yes,
1: they who we realized were the last. Um, humans that we had contact with before quarantine. <laughs> yeah, we were like, we think we you were the last people that we hugged besides <laughs> our husbands, and they were like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> they're so sweet. Yeah, so, so if sweet. you if you listen to us, but you don't listen to triviality, you should also obviously go listen to those boys. Yeah, you
0: should quickly remedy that because they are uh their their gruff exteriors belie a soft, chewy center uh that is um. It's very lovely. They're they're our brothers for a reason. We we love them deeply. So,
1: <laughs> oh, so I was trying to come up with a topic for this week's episode, and Lauren, mm-hmm. you actually inspired me because oh. um, you have mentioned that sometimes on your work calls, on your mm-hmm. on your daily work calls while we're in quarantine, that sometimes people would read their favorite poem to the group. Yeah, yep, with that's to varying degrees of success. I'm I'm sure. <laughs>
0: Yes. Oh, you should tell our listeners what you suggested I do.
1: <laughs> the, yeah. Our next, I did tell Lauren that if um, that if this really was getting out of hand and people were now reading like seventeen pages of poetry during mm-hmm. what is supposed to be a half an hour call for the whole <laughs> for the whole museum, um, that she that she go completely earnestly. Oh, well, I'd like to I'd like to tell like, you know, my favorite poem and then start. There once was a man from Nantucket, and I- then. I would imagine that the that the poem, the poetry reading portion of the calls
0: would quickly be snuffed out. You know. Yes, it's a quick way to an end for something, and I have not. To be fair, I have not had. You haven't the had stones. to employ it. No, I have not had to employ it. Also, I, I have not had the stones to do it, frankly, because that would be. It, it's like a scorched earth policy, <laughs> <laughs> you know. That's a quick way mm-hmm. to end something that maybe people love. So, mm-hmm.
1: haven't really had a chance to do that. But yeah, uh, yeah. So the poetry has has inspired you, huh? It it has mostly because I don't know a lot of poems. Mm-hmm. Um, So, I decided to actually focus on one particular poem that seems to be very popular Mm. and actually isn't all that long um, and actually has a lot of impact on the trivia world. So, today's episode is called The Vorpal Blade Went Snickersnack, all about Jabberwocky. So, you probably know a lot of this already, but passing it all along.
0: Yeah, my mother taught me this poem uh, because she was Alice in her college version of Alice in Wonderland. How about that? Um, so she uh, she taught it to me, and um, there's a part in the poem, and I won't spoil it. There's a part in the poem that she used to repeat to my sister and I a lot, but okay. I'll, this, I'll Great. save it.
1: So. Jabberwocky is a nonsense poem written by Lewis Carroll, which is his pen name. He was born Charles Lutwidge Dodson, and he was alive from 1832 to 1898. So Jabberwocky is about the slaying of a ferocious creature called the Jabberwock. The poem was included in his 1871 novel, Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There, which was the sequel to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland that was published in 1865. In 1855, about a decade before the publication of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll wrote the first stanza to what would eventually become Jabberwocky, and he called this the stanza of Anglo Saxon poetry, and he printed it in Mishmash, which was a periodical that he wrote and illustrated for his friends and family. But when it does get published in Through the Looking Glass, in chapter one, here's Here's, the, here's what happens. I'll set the scene. Alice <laughs> is playing with a white kitten called Snowdrop and also a black kitten called Kitty when she ponders what the world is like on the other side of a mirror's reflection. She climbs up onto the fireplace mantle and pokes at the wall-hung mirror behind the fireplace and discovers, to her surprise, that she's able to step through it into an alternative world. So oh in this reflected version of her own house, she finds a book of poetry and um, one of the poems is Jabberwocky. And who... The printing is actually reversed, so she can only read it by holding it up to the mirror. Oh, cool. And apparently Lewis Carroll wanted his own publisher to publish some of the pages oh, of yeah. Through the Looking Glass in reverse, and they, they figured that was cost prohibitive. They're like, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to first give to you a dramatic reading of Ooh. Jabberwocky, and then oh, I, we'll so break it down stanza by stanza, like what the heck does it actually mean? What are some of these words? And we'll go from there.
0: Oh, I, I you know what? I'm just going to sit back and let it wash over me.
1: Okay. I was trying, I was debating whether I should do this in a British accent, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Jabberwocky. Twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the moam wrath's outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand, long time the manxum foe he sought. So rested he by the tum-tum tree and stood awhile in thought. And as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock with eyes aflame came whiffling through the tulgey wood and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through. The vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O frabjous day, Kalu Calais he chortled in his joy. Twas brillig and the slithy toves, did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the moam-wraths outgrabe. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> of course, many of the words in this poem are playful nonce words or nonsense mm-hmm. words of Carol's own invention without any intended explicit meaning. But when Alice is finished reading the poem, she gives her impressions. She says, it seems very pretty, she said when she had finished it, but it's rather hard to understand. You see, she didn't like to confess, even to herself, that she couldn't make it out at all. Hmm. Somehow, it seems to fill my head with ideas, only I don't exactly know what they are. However, somebody killed something. That's clear at any rate. So in Through the Looking Glass, the character of Humpty Dumpty in response to Alice's you know, kind of request, like, I'm not really sure what this meant. She, um, Humpty Dumpty explains to her the nonsense words from the first stanza of the poem. Um, however, Lewis Carroll's personal commentary on several of the words that he'd wrote about during his lifetime actually differ from Humpty Dumpty's explanations. So some of them from earlier when he published the first stanza in Mishmash and also then in later writings. So Carol discussed some of his lexicon commenting that he did not know the specific meanings or sources of some of the words and the linguistic ambiguity and uncertainty throughout both the book and the poem might be largely the point of it. So, Mm. The speaker of Jabberwocky reads from a third person limited perspective and is not an actual character of the poem. Mm. The verse form of Jabberwocky is technically that of a ballad with seven quatrains. So traditionally a ballad tells a story of love or adventure and is divided into four line stanzas that obey a specific rhyme scheme and meter. So that's the case here. The stanzas also follow a fairly regular like ABAB rhyme scheme Mm -hmm. and it's also iambic meter. Despite the poem's strange language, the fact that it's arranged into a ballad is supposed to help the readers understand that an adventure or a quest is taking place. Sure. Cool. So we'll break it down one, one stanza at a time. First one. "'Twas brillig and the slithy toves Did gyre and gimble in the wabe, All mimsy where the borrow goes, And the moam wrath's outgrabe." So, brillig. Mm-hmm. B-R-I-L-L-I-G. Following the poem, the character of Humpty Dumpty Comments Brillig means four o'clock in the afternoon, the time <laughs> when you begin brailing things for dinner. Okay, perfect. All right, it makes so perfect sense. So it's like four o'clock in the afternoon. Slithy, S L I T H Y. Humpty Dumpty says, Slithy means life and slimy. Life is the same as active. You see, it's like a portmanteau. There are two meanings packed up into one word. And mm. um, in Lewis Carroll's original commentary and mishmash, he says that slithy means smooth and active. So kind of you know, take your pick. (laughs) Lithe and slimy. Um, Tove. So T-O-V-E. Humpty Dumpty says, Toves are something like badgers, they're something like lizards, and they're something like corkscrews. Also, they make their nests under sundials and they live on cheese.
0: Oh, okay. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Uh, (laughs) Wait, wait, they live like their homes are on no, cheese or they live they off live, of cheese. Yeah, they their food. Okay, they, okay. they make
1: their nests under sundials and they oh, yeah. and they subside. <laughs> they subsist Sus- on cheese. cheese. Yes. Okay. Um Good. it is supposed to um, rhyme with the word grove. So Sure. Mm. Um, apparently in Mishmash, Lewis Carroll had described it as a species of badger with smooth white hair, long hind legs, short horns like a stag, living chiefly on cheese. So, <laughs> Really stuck with the so cheese yeah, thing. That's, that's their defining characteristic. <laughs> um, gyre, G-Y-R-E. Um, to gyre is to go round and round like a, like a gyroscope, and apparently at the time mm. it was pronounced gyroscope. Um, that word entered the Oxford English Dictionary in about 1420, meaning a circular or spiral motion or form. Mm. Um, gimbal. Um, Humpty comments that it means to make holes like a gimlet. Oh, okay. Yep. Wabe, W-A-B-E. And um, the characters in the poem suggest that it means the grass plot around a sundial called a wabe because it goes a long way before it and a long way behind it. So uh-huh. that would that would track if a tove uh, makes its nest under a sundial. That sure. That a wabe mm-hmm. would mean the grass plot around a sundial. Mimsy is um, Humpty Dumpty comments that it's a combination of flimsy and miserable mm, mm-hmm. and a borrow following the poem. Humpty Dumpty says borrow is a thin shabby looking bird with its feathers sticking out all around something like a live mop.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's adorable. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh,
1: but in mishmash borrow are described differently. Um, Lewis Carroll says they are an extinct type of parrot with no wings Beaks turned up and they made their nests under sundials living off of veal. But they really, he really loved the sundial thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, they're not that big. Yeah, you know? how you, <laughs> You're going to have a, like a swath of toves and a swath of bargos trying to live, you know, under competing, a sundial? competing for sundial, um, you know. Yeah. Real estate. Real estate. Great. Yep. <laughs> okay. Mom. M-O-M-E. Uh, Humpty Dumpty, he's, you know, this, he doesn't know everything. Humpty Dumpty's okay. uncertain about this one. <laughs> and you know, that's okay. Yeah, It's good that he can ad- admit that. Exactly. Um, he's uncertain about this one. He says, I think it's short for from home, meaning that they had lost their way. Oh, okay. Okay. Wrath, R-A-T-H. Humpty Dumpty says, a wrath is a sort of green pig. Oh. Okay. But Lucy Carroll, his notes in Mishmash, say that a wrath is a species of land turtle head erect, mouth like a shark, the front forelegs curved out so the animal walked on its knees, a smooth green body living on swallows and oysters. That sounds terrifying. Yeah. Um, In the 1951 animated film adaptation of the book, the rafts are depicted as small, multicolored creatures with tufty hair, round eyes, and long legs resembling pipe stems. I do remember those. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They were very cute. And Outgrabe. Humpty says, "Outgribing is something between bellowing and whistling, with a kind of sneeze in the middle." Oh wow! All right. So basically, this first stanza translates into something to the effect of: "It was around four o'clock in the afternoon, and the slimy toves bore holes in the side of the wet hill by spinning around. The groves were miserable, and the lost wraths whistled and bellowed." Okay. okay. Yeah. in that scene. Second stanza. This is in quotation marks. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird and shun, the frumious bandersnatch. So, the jabberwock. Um, Lewis Carroll wrote, the Anglo-Saxon word wasser or walker signifies offspring or fruit. Taking mm. jabber in its ordinary acceptation of excited and voluble discussion, this would give the meaning of the result of much excited and voluble discussion. So the inspiration behind the monster itself has been said to be anything from Beowulf to a local folk monster called the Sockborn Worm from the village of Croft-on-Tees from from where Lewis Carroll wrote. Um, It's often depicted as a monster similar to a dragon. So this very famous illustration by John Tenniel, um, it depicts it with a long serpentine neck, rabbit-like teeth, spidery talons, bat-like wings, and as a humorous touch, a waistcoat. Oh, (laughs) Um, in the 2010 film version of Alice in Wonderland, they show the Jabberwock with large back legs, a small dinosaur-like front legs, and on the ground it uses its wings as front legs like a, like a pterosaurus, and it breathes out lightning flashes. So, Oh, my gosh. This is like a crazy, for lack of a better word, mishmash of a creature. Yeah. But you can just tell from, uh, from the stanza that it is a very scary yes. creature. hmm mm-hmm. So the jub-jub bird is um, a desperate bird that lives in perpetual passion. What? All right. So um, All right. Lewis Carroll later wrote a poem called The Hunting of the Snark, and this kind of comes up because it reuses a lot of the words that he's, that he's written in other works. So <laughs> um, in The Hunting of the Snark, um, according to the butcher, this is what he says is the jub-jub bird. Um, and it might also make reference to the call of the bird resembling the sound, jub-jub. Oh, okay. okay. frumius Frumious, is a combination of fuming and furious. So, okay. again, in the preface to The Hunting of the Snark, Lewis Carroll says, take the two words, fuming and furious. Make up your mind that you will say both words. But leave it unsettled, <laughs> which you're going to say first. Now open your mouth and speak. If your thoughts incline ever so little toward fuming, you will say fuming furious. If they turn by even a hair's breadth toward furious instead, you would say furious fuming. But if you have the rarest of gifts, a perfectly balanced mind, you would say frumious. <laughs> <laughs> that's very so cute. So that's what happens when we you know, mess up and mash two words together. That just Mm -hmm. means you have a perfectly balanced mind, Lauren. That's very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, um, also in this stanza is the bandersnatch. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a swift moving creature with snapping jaws, capable of extending its neck very far. So a bander was also an archaic word for a leader, suggesting that a bandersnatch might be an animal that hunts the leader of a group. Oh, okay. So... If we're translating the second stanza, it's basically a, a, like a warning a quotation. Watch out for the jabberwock, my son. Its jaws bite and its claws could snatch you. Also, watch out for the jubjub bird and avoid the fuming, furious bandersnatch. Great. Great. Third stanza. He took his Vorpal sword in hand. Long time the manxum foe he sought. So rested he by the tum tum tree and stood a while in thought. So, Vorpal, V O R P A L. Um, Lewis Carroll said he couldn't necessarily explain this word, but it has been noted that it can be formed by taking letters alternately from verbal and gospel. Mm, okay. All right. And manxome, M-A-N-X-O-M-E, possibly fearsome, possibly a portmanteau of manly and buxom. Um, the latter Ooh. actually related to men for most of its history. Like, we, buxom? We, yeah, when we, when we think of buxom nowadays, we kind of think of like a, booby woman who boobs boobily into a room (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) but the word um, used to refer mainly to men who were, you know strong and strapping like a square man yes (laughs) yes Mm -hmm. Um, and also um, we had talked about this maybe maybe a couple weeks ago Um, the Isle of Man has that triskelion emblem with the three legs um, on its flag so um, three-legged is also another possible uh, interpretation of Manxum -hmm. So the third stanza translation, holding his vorpal sword, the sun searched a long while for the fearsome beast. Then he took a break next to the tumtum tree and he contemplated his situation. Mm. Standing Mm. and thought, hmm, well, here I am in the woods. (laughs) Well, you know, they didn't have TVs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fourth stanza. Did a lot more thinking. Fourth stanza. And as an uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tulgy wood and burbled as it came. So, uffish? Lewis Carroll noted, it seemed to suggest a state of mind when the voice is gruffish, the manner roughish, and the temper huffish. Ooh, All Then right. you're uffish. Um tulgy t-u-l-g-e-y Lewis Carroll said he could give no source for this word it could be (laughs) taken to mean thick dense or dark and it has been Mm. suggested that it comes from the Anglo-Cornish word tulgu meaning darkness oh okay and then burbled as it came burbled in a letter from December 1877 Lewis Carroll notes that burble could be a mixture of the three verbs bleat murmur and warble that's very good Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Yes. So the fourth stanza translation. So while he was standing there thinking, the Jabberwock emerged from the dark woods with flaming eyes, making a bleeding and warbling sound.
0: Which, you know, if you really think about it, doesn't sound intimidating at all. But
1: if you see his eyes are on fire oh, and he's like true. a dragon body and like yeah, big, you're right. massive rabbit teeth for some reason. But then reason. he's just going. <laughs> 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 Fifth stanza. One, two, one, two, and through and through, the vorpal blade went snicker snack. He left it dead, and with its head, he went galumphing back. So snickersnack, um, I've seen that it actually relates to an old large knife called the snickersnee. <gasps> Isn't that a Are great name serious? for a weapon? That's a great name. It's a great name for a weapon. And then the other word we should probably talk about is galumphing. So yes. In the poem, it's, it's typically used as a blend of gallop and triumphant. So he's mm-hmm. galloping triumphantly back. Um, it's used later by Rudyard Kipling, who was like, mm-hmm. that word's great. Let me use that. And then in Webster's Dictionary, they say that it's to move with a clumsy and heavy tread. So oh, okay. the fifth stanza translation is, after a noisy clash, you know, one, two, one, two, mm-hmm. the son decapitated the Jabberwock with his sword. He hurried home triumphantly, holding the Jabberwock's head. Nice. Sixth stanza. And hast thou slain the Jabberwock? Come to my arms, my Beamish boy. O frabjous day, calloo callay, he chortled in his joy. So Beamish is Radiantly Beaming, Happy, and Cheerful. Um, it, it is listed in the Oxford English Dictionary from 1530. So um, it was previously a word, but... <laughs>
0: Yeah, and this was the phrase that my mother would say to us when we were little. She would say, come to my arms, my beamish boy. <laughs> and we would, like, jump off of something and, like... it's good. She would pick, catch us. It's cute. cute.
1: Frabjous, um, F-R-A-B-J-O-U-S, is a, likely a blend of fair, fabulous, and joyous. Oh, nice. And then chortled, um, C-H-O-R-T-L-E-D, is a combination of chuckle and snort. So. Oh. Um what's funny about that you said that your mom would always say, Come to my arms, maybe mish boy. Uh my dad used "Kalu Kale" all the time. <laughs> and then That's adorable. And then like I only realized maybe, you know, maybe ten years ago or so that he was quoting a Lewis Carroll poem. <laughs> Like he'd just be like Kalu Kole, like whenever something exciting happened. But he was like a little bit sarcastic, so I don't know. Okay, <laughs> who knew? Yeah, your the Bill Novakovic has a lot of uh, deep yeah. I gotta ask deep references. Hmm. Um. So the the translation there is is another quotation. And have you killed the Jabberwock? Give me a hug, my son. What a fabulous and joyful day! Hoo hoo! Hooray! And he chuckled and snorted in happiness. (laughs) That's
0: cute. That's very
1: cute. And then again, we repeat, the seventh stanza is the same as the first. Twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyron gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borrow groves and the moam wrath's outgrabe. So again, it was four o'clock in the afternoon and the slimy toves bore holes in the side of the wet hill by spinning around. The borrow groves were miserable and the lost wrath's whistled and bellowed. So
0: Beautiful. A nice little open and close, like a little bookend for the poem. Yes. It's nice.
1: So Um, If we consult uh, Christopher Booker's The Seven Basic Plots, we would then classify this poem as an overcoming the monster story. Mm. So a hero leaves home, goes out into the world in order to face down some evil. And after encountering some difficulties and tests of his bravery, he's triumphant and vanquishes his foe and comes home again. So it's a story told again and again in literature. Again, starting with Beowulf all the way to Lord of the Rings. By the way, uh, check out episode 137, a series of series, Middle Earth and Beyond for Lord of the Rings. (laughs) So again, with the poem, the themes here include good versus evil, storytelling Mm -hmm. and triumph, like just in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And um, Scottish writer Claire Askew said this about the poem, quote, When I'm teaching creative writing, I often call upon Jabberwocky to illustrate that nothing is ever too weird or nonsensical to include in a poem. It never fails to get a great response from my students, particularly when I do the scary voices.
0: That's very cute.
1: I love that. So last few trivia tidbits about Jabberwocky. Um... So there are a bunch of words from it that are now in the Oxford English Dictionary. Yeah. Again, chortle, it's um, a blend of the words chuckle and snort. The OED recognized it as both a verb and a noun. Um, As a noun, it means a gleeful laugh, and as a verb, it means to laugh in a gleeful way. Hmm. Frabjous is also in the OED. Oh, really? Yep, it might be a combination of fair and joyous, though, again, not immediately clear from the word itself, but they count it as an adjective, meaning delightful and joyous. Nice. Galumph, a combination of the words gallop and triumph, now means to move in a slow and clumsy manner. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, i probably use it like galumphing around. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good um, verb when you're talking about a bunch of people wearing tubas.
0: Yeah, it's a very onomatopoetic word for some (laughs) strange reason. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's perfect for people wearing tubas, I
1: feel. (laughs) And uh, the word Jabberwocky itself has come to mean an invented or meaningless language or nonsense. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Jabberwocky is a 1977 British fantasy comedy film, co-written and directed by Terry Gilliam. Oh, it hey. stars Michael Palin as a young Cooper who is forced through clumsy, often slapstick misfortunes to hunt a terrible dragon after the death of his father. The film, which was Gilliam's first as a solo director, uh, received a mixed response from critics and yeah. audiences. And I, um, <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's an interesting movie to read about. But yeah. Terry Gilliam is the was the mastermind behind it. Hmm. Um, I mentioned earlier, Bandersnatch, Mm -hmm. that is also the title of a 2018 interactive film in the science fiction anthology series, Black Mirror. (gasps) Oh, right. That debuted on Netflix in December 2018. So in Bandersnatch... Again, it's interactive. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure book, but on your screen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Viewers make decisions for the main character, who's a young programmer named Stephen Butler, who is adapting a fantasy choose-your-own-adventure novel into a video game in 1984. So the film is based on a planned Imagine Software video game of the same name that went unreleased after the company filed for bankruptcy. And again, Bandersnatch also alludes to Lewis Carroll's own works that feature the Bandersnatch creature. Uh, The episode did win two Emmy Awards in 2019, including the Outstanding Television Movie Award. Wow. I didn't watch it because I thought it would be too scary. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. You know what? I people keep telling me that I should watch
0: uh, Black Mirror because I do like dystopian stuff, but not like. Right now, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not right like, now. Uh,
1: and there's some any, episodes are better than others. So, like, if you trust Vulture, like, just watch the ones that Vulture's like. Yeah, the, you must yeah. watch these. Yeah, like the exactly. very first episode is. Mm, it's not really a spoiler. Uh, it's somebody is somebody has been kidnapped, and they are going to kill this person who's been kidnapped unless the prime minister of the country goes on live television and. Uh oh! Penetrates a pig on my oh. air. Wow! Yeah. Uh, so,
0: so that's what people have been recommending to me, huh? <laughs> Thanks a lot, friends. Jeez. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's um. Yeah, some episodes are better than others. <laughs> Yeah, maybe not
0: anytime soon. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and also we watch TV before bed. And, you know, oh, yeah, I, you don't, need I that. don't need that on my spirit. No. You know, I don't need that on my spirit. So, yeah, maybe one day, but yeah. not today. But anyway,
1: <laughs> then finally, one last tidbit. The Jabbawockies, spelled J-A-B-B-A-W-O-C-K-E-E-Z, uh-huh. are yes. an American hip hop dance crew. Best known for being the winners of the first season of the MTV reality series, America's Best Dance Crew, in 2008.
0: I watched that season. Did you? I rooted. Yes. I rooted for the Jabberwockies since day one. <laughs> They're amazing. Do you have and like think, a
1: hat and a mask at your house? And like a... <laughs>
0: I've got a mask and the bucket
1: hat. And, yeah. Like I can do the the whole like mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> so yes, this dance crew is known for their distinctive white face masks and gloves. They also wear hats, frequently bucket hats, though not always, and long sleeves and long pants. And they dress alike to guide the audience's attention away from individual identities and more toward the unified group. So they and they also like randomly pop up in TV shows and movies, I feel. Yeah. And you're like, like they're working oh, it's well. The <laughs> Yeah, they're,
0: they're, like, hustling. They're doing really yeah. good for something that, like, a hip-hop dance group. I don't know what the, like, the future career of that is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, it's so, dance is so strange anyway. So it's just, uh, yeah, I'm glad that they're doing okay. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. They were great. Yeah. So there you have it. That was great. I love that. I learned so much. <laughs> Uh, I learned so much about uh,
1: the poem. So thank you so much, Joel. Sure thing. So our quiz today is called Through the Looking Glass. This is a quiz on secret passages and mirrors. Ooh. Question one. While playing the classic board game Clue, or Cluedo if you're in the UK, suspects can use one of two secret passages to travel from one corner room to the opposite diagonal room on the game board. These routes include moving from the kitchen to the study, or the lounge, to which other corner room? Question two. The Arnold Arnolfini Portrait also called The Marriage of the Arnolfinis, is a famous 1434 painting with the notable feature of a large convex mirror mounted on the wall behind and between the happy couple. Reflected in the mirror to viewers of the painting are two figures just inside the door that the couple are facing. The second figure, wearing red, is presumably the artist of the portrait. Who is he? Question three. In which book series would you find an enchanted map created by Messieurs Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs, which show the seven secret passages between a famous school in Scotland and a nearby village? Question four. The Hubble Space Telescope, which contains a massive mirror nearly eight feet in diameter, launched into space in 1990. Unfortunately, within a few weeks, an issue was discovered by NASA— Which of the following was wrong with Hubble Space Telescope's mirror? A, it was installed backwards. B, the shape had a flaw introduced during the manufacturing process. C, the color of the glass made it impossible to see red light. Or D, the glass cracked when the telescope exited the Earth's atmosphere. Question five. When Queen Elizabeth I came to the throne in 1558, there were several Catholic plots designed to remove her. Some wealthy families who practiced Catholicism in secret added a hiding place to their domiciles in the event that the household was celebrating mass and Anglican officers showed up unannounced to search the premises. Though not necessarily underground, the Catholic officiant could then be concealed down a secret passage or in a hidden room known as a what? Question six, what lyrical ballad by Alfred Lord Tennyson tells of a young noblewoman imprisoned in a tower, cursed to view the world only by reflections in a mirror while continually weaving on her loom? If she should dare to stop and look directly upon the world, at people, birds, mountains, onions, whatever, she knows a terrible fate will befall her, though uncertain of what that fate might be. Question seven, in 2002, Police discovered how hundreds of priceless medieval books and illuminated manuscripts had vanished over a two-year span from the Hohenberg Abbey near Alsace, France, through a secret passage into the abbey's library. The abbey is situated on Mont Saint-Odile, one of the most famous peaks of what mountain range in the east of France, which also shares its name with a luxury chocolatier? Question eight. The Hall of Mirrors is a grand Baroque-style gallery built to illustrate the power of the Sun King. It was later the location of the signing of the Peace Treaty to end the First World War in 1919. In what grand building would you find the Hall of Mirrors? Question 9. A Twitter account established in 2020 makes things a little easier for players of video games like Earthbound, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and The Witcher 3. It confirms that if players have been moving too fast and should instead slow down to check behind what common natural features for secret passages. And finally, question 10. Legend has it that during the Second Punic War, an accomplished Greek mathematician and engineer had the Greek army use mirrors to focus bright sunlight onto advancing Roman ships, causing them to burst into flames. Often referred to as his heat ray or death ray, which mathematician is credited with screwing over the Romans and destroying enemy ships with fire during the siege of Syracuse? I'll give you about a minute to think and we be back with your answers.) Um.
0: Slithe throats did gyre and gimble in the wave. All the women see where the burrow goes and the mum out outgrave. Beware the jabber walk, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jump bird and shun, the frumious spander snatch. sword in hand. Long time the he So rested he by the
1: and while
0: You know what? I'm feeling okay about this. Good. I'm feeling pretty good. I don't have all of them, I don't think, but I'm doing pretty you good. You never I'm know. Good. Yeah, I Never know. Alright.
1: Okay. Here we go. Question one. While playing the classic board game Clue or Cluedo, if you're in the UK, suspects can use one of two secret passages to travel from one corner room to the opposite diagonal room on the game board. These routes include moving from the kitchen to the study or the lounge to which other corner room?
0: Okay. So you said kitchen to the study Mm -hmm. and then the lounge to something else. And I, I'm between conservatory or library. And I'm trying to remember the board because, okay, so the hall. I feel like, okay, I'm going to go with my first instinct, which might be wrong.
1: Uh,
0: No, I'm going to go with my second instinct. I'm going to go with library. Is it library?
1: The answer is conservatory. No! (laughs)
0: Damn it! (laughs) I was you know what? And uh, while I was thinking that I was like, Lauren, you have never seen the library on the corner, you've only seen the conservatory on the corner, but I don't remember distinctly seeing like Mm. the little like secret passage symbol in the conservatory.
1: Boop! Mm. I was so Uh, close. uh, We rewatched the movie last night as a you know, per my request. Sure. Um and it's it comes up in the movie a couple of times Mm. that it's the conservatory to the lounge. Damn. (laughs) All right (sighs) question two. The Arnolfini portrait, also called The Marriage of the Arnolfinis, is a famous 1434 painting with a notable feature of a large convex mirror mounted on the wall behind and between the happy couple. Reflected in the mirror to viewers of the painting are two figures just inside the door that the couple are facing. The second figure, wearing red, is presumably the artist of the portrait. Who is he?
0: Uh, That would be Flemish
1: Old Master Jan van Eyck. You are correct, of course. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The small medallions that are set into the frame of the convex mirror at the back of the room show tiny scenes from the Passion of the Christ, and they might represent God's promise of salvation for the figures reflected on the mirror's convex surface. It's signed and dated by van Eyck in 1434, and it is, along with the Ghent Altarpiece that he completed with his brother Hubert, the oldest famous panel painting to have been executed in oil rather than in tempera? Uh,
0: I got to see it when we were over in the UK and I developed um, a bad habit of gently pushing people out of my way when they were standing in front of something I wanted to see. So I, I definitely like, there are these two teenage boys who were like standing in front of it and they weren't even looking at it. They were yeah. just talking. Yeah. So I just got like super close and like like gently like (laughs) leaned against one of their backpacks (laughs) and then they were like, Oh, I'm sorry. And I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. And then they moved away and I was Mm -hmm. like, ha ha. Now I can finally like absorb it. It's so beautiful in person. smaller than you think as Mm -hmm. most paintings are. Um, But yeah, it's like a jewel. It's so beautiful.
1: (laughs) All right. Question three. In which book series would you find an enchanted map created by Messieurs Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs, which shows the seven secret passages between a famous school in Scotland and a nearby village?
0: Um, my again, I'm, okay, I'm going to go off my first instinct, which is uh, the Harry Potter series. Am I wrong?
1: <laughs> it's Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah.
0: Ah, Padfoot got it for me. Yeah. yeah. So
1: the passages lead to Hogsmeade, which is the only all wizarding village in Britain. Mm. And for more on Harry Potter, check out episode 21, Harry Potter and the non Potterheads. It's very good. Do you know that I was trying to write this question? I knew, I knew I wanted to write a question about the Harry Potter secret passages. And then I had to figure sure. out how to write it for you. <laughs> for you, a Harry Potter idiot. <laughs> It's very funny because I feel like there, like I was telling Josh, there are some very like obvious like big fandoms that Mm -hmm. trivia people like and talk about all the time that we don't talk about ever. Like, Star Wars questions are not coming from us. Marvel Cinematic universe questions are not coming from us. And I just think it's kind of funny that it's like, (laughs) there's some things that like, we just kind of don't talk about. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, you know, we try to be, you know, a lot of things to a lot of people, but not all things to all people. Plus those things are so popular that there's, there are whole podcasts dedicated to each one of those things, like multiples. So you don't need to hear it from us about the star Wars franchise. Like, come on.
1: So It's, it's a healthy attitude. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Question four. The Hubble Space Telescope, which contains a massive mirror nearly eight feet in diameter, launched into space in 1990. Unfortunately, within a few weeks, an issue was discovered by NASA. Which of the following was wrong with the Hubble Space Telescope's mirror? A, it was installed backwards. B, the shape had a flaw introduced during the manufacturing process. C, the color of the glass made it impossible to see red light. Or D, the glass cracked when the telescope exited the Earth's atmosphere?
0: Um, I have like a vague recollection of Steve talking about this. So I'm going to go with B, there was a flaw in the, uh, in the manufacturing process.
1: You are correct. Yes. It turned out that miscalibrated grinding equipment introduced a flaw of about two microns or one fiftieth the thickness of a human hair. Oh my God. Okay. So like to shape a mirror, they had to, you grind down the glass, Mm -hmm. but okay. So, but it's already in space. It's already like 15 years past, like when it was (laughs) scheduled to happen. So instead of replacing the mirror, they built and installed five pairs of corrected, mirrors, like basically corrective lenses that counter oh, wow. the effects of the flaw. <sighs> wow. That's And amazing. also, I didn't realize, the Hubble Space Telescope orbits in low Earth orbit at an altitude of about 340 miles away from Earth. Oh, that, that's surprisingly close. Yeah, I, I guess I thought it was like pff, way, way out, out there. there. Yeah, me too. No, like, huh. like it still is able to be serviced by astronauts.
0: Huh. Huh, I didn't know. I thought they were, it was like way out there yeah. because they see so many, so many things from
1: way far out. I mm-hmm. thought they like launched it out. Huh. Yeah. Learning something new every day. Question five. When Queen Elizabeth I came to the throne in 1558, there were several Catholic plots designed to remove her. Some wealthy families who practiced Catholicism in secret added a hiding place to their domiciles In the event that the household was celebrating mass, an Anglican officer showed up unannounced to search the premises. Though not necessarily underground, the Catholic officiant could then be concealed down a secret passage or in a hidden room known as a what?
0: Uh, I'd like to thank my constant consumption of British television that that I've had for the past couple of months. Uh,
1: That's called a priest's hole. Yes, it is. So, a priest hole was um, often concealed in walls, under floors, behind wainscoting, and other locations, and they were often successful in concealing their occupant. Many such hiding places are attributed to a Jesuit lay brother named Nicholas Owen, who died in 1606, who devoted the greater part of his life to constructing these places to protect the lives of persecuted priests. Um, the author Alan Fee wrote quote, he so disguised the entrances to these as to make them most unlike what they really were. Moreover, he kept these places so close a secret that he would never disclose to another the place of the concealment of any Catholic. He alone was both their architect and their builder. No one knows how many he made, and some may still be undiscovered. Oh, that's cool. I like yeah. that a lot. So if you find yourself, like, touring a, <laughs> a gigantic old English manor house from, uh, from the 16th century, you know, if you happen to lean on a door. Yeah, <laughs> a panel. <laughs> <laughs> you might find the priest's hole. Yeah. <laughs> Question six. What lyrical ballad by Alfred Lord Tennyson tells of a young noblewoman imprisoned in a tower, cursed to view the world only by reflections in a mirror while continually weaving on her loom. If she should dare to stop and look directly upon the world, at people, birds, mountains, onions, whatever, she knows a terrible fate will befall her, though uncertain of what that fate might be.
0: Um also a great song by Lorena Lorena McKinnon <laughs> that you and I talked about, like We went crazy over uh, That's Lady of Shalott Yes And I was listening to
1: this song While I was You know Finishing this question My jam That song is my jam It's so good (laughs) So It is It is quite a, a long poem Um so what happens is, you know, she's up in the she's up in this tower. She's working on her loom. She looks out the window, and she sees Lancelot, who's, like, mm-hmm. just the most handsome. Oh, so-called fox. Oh, gosh. So she sees him, <clears throat> and she stops weaving, and she, like, actually looks out the window, and she brings about the curse mid-poem. Um, the line is, Out flew the web and floated wide. The mirror cracked from side to side. The curse has come upon me, cried the lady of Shalott. So she's like, that's it. The curse is, is going to kill me. So she leaves her tower. She finds a boat, writes her name, floats down the river to Camelot. She dies before she gets to the palace. Sure. And among the knights and ladies who see her is Lancelot, who is like, oh, yeah, she's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look at that. I hit that. <laughs> look at that dead girl. Huh. All right. <laughs> but yeah, it's a gorgeous song by Loretta McKinnon. Oh.
0: It's so good. And it's, like, 12 and a half minutes long, and every single moment is, like, pure perfection. Yes. It's so good. Oh. Don't you remember, like, you, I think we were on, like, a text chain with our friend Victoria, and you took a picture of, like, your, your radio yeah. playing
1: it, because it's serious. No, no, the Mummers dance came on. I was oh, like. Oh, no, it was the yes. Mummers dance,
0: which is, <laughs> which is also amazing. It was the Mummers dance, and you and I just lost our shit, and Victoria was like, I don't do uh, what I don't is know, going on I right I now this song we're like youtube it it's totally worth it you're gonna cry you're gonna laugh it's such a good song <laughs> oh god
1: question seven in 2002 police discovered how hundreds of priceless medieval books and illuminated manuscripts had vanished over a two-year span from the hohenberg abbey near alsace france through a secret passage into the abbey's library. The abbey is situated on Mont Saint-Odile, one of the most famous peaks of what mountain range in the east of France, which also shares its name with a luxury chocolatier.
0: Okay, um, I'm thinking of luxury chocolatiers. Um, And my first thought was Toblerone, which is not it, right? Okay, that's what I thought. So um, the only other one I could think of was Lint, but that doesn't seem right. Is it lit?
1: It is not. This is a know your French mountains question. Um, yeah. Um, well. In the east of France, you have the Vosges mountains. V-O-S-G-E-S. 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 I don't think I've ever heard of this. Oh,
0: well. Is it a, is it a chocolate, luxury chocolatier? Yeah. Um,
1: they, huh. uh, they were like the first ones to do like a, like a bacon chocolate bar you know oh, what I mean like yeah, if they're yeah. one of the they're uh, they're out of Chicago they're um beautiful packaging like kind mm-hmm. of expensive I mean everything is delicious obviously sure but I remember like when that like fr- it's like Moe's chocolate <laughs> bacon bar or something yeah they sell it at Parkley around yes. here yeah yeah so uh, so the Vosges mountains they are a range of low mountains in eastern France near the border with Germany um, this story is incredible, by the way, about this abbey and this theft. So, the abbey had a first floor library that had been strictly off limits to the thousands of visitors to the eighth century abbey. So, like, wow. there, you know, it's, it's yeah. been around for 1500 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's this gorgeous building um, that the library had been off limits to visitors. But books started to disappear around the year 2000. Um, they put new locks in to, you know, for the library's only door. But the yeah. thefts continued. Um, there were unique religious manuscripts bound in wood and leather. Like they weighed like 10 pounds a piece. Like this isn't just like, oh, a person s- slipped in and like yeah, tucked something, something. In, their, in their pocket and then continued on the tour. Mm-hmm. So they changed the locks a couple more times. Um, the windows were sealed from the inside and stuff was still going missing. Oh my gosh. What happened was like the security and like some of the staff members were like, all right. So they're like searching the whole room and somebody discovers that there is a hidden door to a secret passage. Oh my God, so, can you imagine? The Abbey installed cameras and, like, very soon after, they caught a 32-year-old teacher who was carrying two suitcases <gasps> out as he emerged from the passage. And at his home, they found a thousand stolen books and manuscripts. All were undamaged, neatly stacked on shelves, and cataloged by subject. And he found out about the secret passage by like finding like a written document that talked about <gasps> how there was. How there was that extra door into the library and he like just took it upon himself to just to, you know so start borrowing some stuff from this eighth century. Uh, so he libraries. was
0: just he was just using it like he was using the books. Like he wasn't like trying to sell them no, or he didn't, no, destroy he didn't them, or anything. them. He
1: didn't destroy them. He just he just liked them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean still a legal
0: man, Yeah. But. I mean, it could be worse, I guess.
1: (laughs) Definitely could have been worse. We hear so many stories of, of, um, old materials that are like just people cut pages out of them. They cut illustrations Mm -hmm. out of them. They sell them to dealers. Like all of these terrible things could have happened. So this is probably like the best case scenario was like, they thought a ghost was stealing (laughs) manuscripts (laughs) from their abbey, And it turns out it was just a dude and he didn't do anything terrible with them. He
0: just, he just really loved books. Yeah. His only crime was loving books and also stealing from an 8th century abbey.
1: (laughs) So that was near Alsace um, in in France in the Vosges Mountains. All right, question eight. The Hall of Mirrors is a grand Baroque-style gallery built to illustrate the power of the Sun King. It was later the location of the signing of the Peace Treaty that ended the First World War in 1919. In what grand building would you find the Hall of Mirrors? Uh, That is Versailles. Mais oui. Mais oui, Versailles. Bien sûr. It is the Palace of Versailles. Um, the Mirror Hall's 17 windows open in the direction of a park, and on the opposite wall of the hall are 17 equally large mirrors that are composed of more than 350 individual mirrored surfaces. So, the mirrors wow. had an aesthetic function as the mirror image of the garden depicted the exterior of the castle into the interior of the building and reflected the candlelight in the evening while also mm. conveying the king's wealth. And also mirror glass was a very expensive luxury product in the 17th mm-hmm. century and could only be produced with great effort. So, Um, I was there in like 2003, but like the way that the tours were run, where they were like, "Yep, you're in the Hall of Mirrors. Take your (laughs) picture. Run, run, run." It was like cattle shoots. Like, oh yeah. So you didn't really get to like stop and walk around, take it all in. But very, very gaudy. But oh yeah, you know that's Baroque. Yeah,
0: that's Louis. I mean, what are you gonna Mm -hmm. do? You know.
1: All right. Question nine. A Twitter account established in 2020 makes things a little easier for players of video games like Earthbound, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and The Witcher 3. It confirms that if players have been moving too fast and should instead slow down to check behind what common natural features for secret passages. Common natural features
0: for secret passages? Because I was going to say bookcase, but you said natural. Um, it
1: confirms that if players have been moving too fast and should instead slow down to check behind what common natural features for secret passages. Uh, is it a waterfall? It is a waterfall. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to put in, please stick to the rivers and lakes that you oh, used of course to, not. as a clue. No. Um, yes, so the account is at VG Waterfalls and is something behind mm. the waterfall. Uh, credit to Engineer Josh for introducing this to me. Uh, <laughs> the account bio says that it's a catalog of video game waterfalls that are hiding caves, treasures, and other secrets. And it is also um, curated by the same guy who has the Can You Pet the Dog account. So oh, like, yeah. That's, a, that's <laughs> another like video game thing. It's like, you know, oh, is it worth it, like me taking a side quest over mm-hmm. here to check behind that waterfall? Or is it yeah. just... Is it just a waterfall? Just nothing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. And finally, question 10. Legend has it that during the Second Punic War, an accomplished Greek mathematician and engineer had the Greek army use mirrors to focus bright sunlight onto advancing Roman ships, causing them to burst into flames. Often referred to as his heat ray or death ray, which mathematician is credited with screwing over the Romans and destroying enemy ships with fire during the siege of Syracuse? Uh, is that Archimedes? Yes, it is Archimedes. Um, It's been suggested that a large array of highly polished bronze or copper shields acting as mirrors could have been employed to focus sunlight onto a ship. A test of the Archimedes heat ray was carried out in 1973 by the Greek scientists at... That plays in Greece, you know. They,
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't, whatever. You don't need
1: another. know their um, They used 70 mirrors, each with a copper coating measuring around five by three feet. The mirrors mm. were pointed at a plywood mock-up of a Roman warship at a distance of about 50 meters, about 160 feet away. And when the mirrors were focused accurately, the ship burst into flames within a few seconds. Though the plywood ship also had a coating of tar paint, which may have aided mm. combustion. Sure. (laughs) I first learned about this from the show Mythbusters. Yes, same. I was going to say they did an episode on the Archimedes death ray. They spent quite some time getting a stationary ship to even smoke. Um, so they actually considered this to be a busted myth because of the Mm -hmm. length of time and the ideal weather conditions that would have been required for combustion to occur. Mythbusters also pointed out that conventional weaponry, such as flaming arrows or, or like things on fire with a catapult would have been a far easier way of setting (laughs) a ship on fire at short distances, but yeah, it's a very interesting legend.
0: Yeah. Great great this is awesome yeah i it. got i feel great that was a great quiz i got eight out of ten Woo. it wasn't too easy and too difficult <laughs> i didn't have to scream into the microphone <laughs> ever so it worked out Kaloo, thanks jewel that Kaloo was really kalay. good Kalu kalay we finished this episode um yeah thanks so much for listening guys uh we appreciate you continuing to listen to us we appreciate you continuing to rate review and subscribe you know where to find us uh, you know how to get a hold of us. I hope you all are having a wonderful summer. And, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening. That's all I can What more can I say to you, our loyal listeners, except
1: thank you, you know? Yeah, and uh, you can check, catch us next time.
0: Bye. Bye.